One of my favorite jokes is uh, lion in the jungle needing to affirm himself and feel better about himself. And so he starts going up to all the different animals of the jungle and puffing out his chest and saying, why are you not great like me? So he goes to the zebra and the zebra kind of scampers away. Why are you not great? Why can't you roar like I can? Be the king of the jungle. And then he goes and does the same thing to the monkey. And the monkey just, you know, scares away. And, ah, and he growls. And then he goes to a field mouse. And he gets up close to the field mouse. The field mouse doesn't even stop what he's doing. just keeps on looking. And so the lion roars as loud as he can. Rawr! Why, field mouse, are you not great and mighty like me? The field mouse stops and looks up. He says, because I've been sick. Think, that's funny. Um, I've been sick. That's my way of telling you that I'm not feeling well. And so, <laughs> trying to make it not dramatic. Anyway, my name is Marshall. That's a funny joke if it's delivered well. So anyway, um, let me pray before we look at these passages. God, we, uh, as Jeb prayed a moment ago, we carry all kinds of things into this room. In my case, I carry uh, just fatigue. And so, Lord, we bring all of our feelings, all of who we are, our doubts, our despairs, our joys, everything that is on our plate, we bring before you. And God, you have promised that you are the giver of rest if we would just enter into that rest. And so, God, as we look at Sabbath rest, I pray that you would be with us for Christ's sake. Amen. Somebody asked me recently, how do you choose which sermon series you're going to do? How do you choose a sermon series? And if you were with us in the fall, we looked at uh, the doctrine of amazing grace, that God's grace is amazing to us. And so as we were kind of rounding our corners through the fall, I was thinking, what do I want to do when it comes to the new year? What do I want to do? What do I want to teach on? Uh, And I want it to be how we live out grace. I want to deal with the things that are most tempting for us to turn away from God's grace from God's amazing grace. And as I thought about it, I thought the things I really want to talk about are money, sex, and rest, which is to say work. And so I thought, well, what better place can we talk about those three things than the Ten Commandments? And actually, we've been going through the Ten Commandments one a week. We're actually going to slow down. We're going to do two on those three commandments, Uh, the commandment on Work and rest this week and next, and we'll do two on sex and two on money. I do believe these are the areas where grace can be stolen from our lives or really lived into and lived out of it. So we have been studying the Ten Commandments, and this week the fourth commandment, the command to Sabbath rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so this morning, as best as I am able, I want to give you a gift I want to give you a gift that can make your life better. I want to give you a gift that can refresh your body, that can renew your mind, a gift that can make you more creative, that can lessen your anxiety, make you a better spouse, parent, friend, boss, employee, student. I want to give you a gift that make you more in touch with yourself, more in touch with others, and above all, a gift that can make you closer to God himself. And that gift, friends, is the Sabbath. Three things this morning. What is the Sabbath and what does it do? What what does the Sabbath do for us? Secondly, why should you remember the Sabbath? And then third, how do you remember the Sabbath? But first, what is the Sabbath and what does the Sabbath do? It is interesting uh, that in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, 
the Jewish scriptures, Christian Old Testament. And in Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, God created for six days. On the seventh day, it says he rested from his labors, which is to say before there was even sin in the world, God was resting on the seventh day. Interestingly, in that passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, the very first thing in the Bible that is called holy, the very first thing that is called holy is the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath occurs 172 times in the scriptures. Uh, it's super important and consequential. Um, one passage in Jeremiah demonstrates this. When God, wants, when God punishes his people, this is Jeremiah 17, 27, when God punishes his people and sends them into exile, the reason he gives in Genesis, I mean in Jeremiah 17, 27 is their breaking of the Sabbath commandments. That's significant. Uh, so let me read again the words that Walter read a moment ago. I'll read from the Exodus account. And if you look, you can see actually the Exodus account and the Deuteronomy account are a little bit different. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it's worth hearing again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what is the Sabbath? In short, the Sabbath is one day and seven, one and seven that is set apart to rest and be with God. It is a day where we cease from our labors so that we might relate to God. Ceasing from labor so that we might relate to God. And observing the Sabbath is really a way of belonging to God but also acknowledging God that he is the creator and he is the redeemer. If you look at the, look at the verse I just read from Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath command in Exodus is rooted in God's creation, that God created the world, he rests on the Sabbath, therefore we rest. But in Deuteronomy, the passage right below it in your bulletin in Deuteronomy 5, this commandment is given to remember that you are slaves, that God has redeemed the people from Israel. Which is to say... The Sabbath day is a day that orients us and reminds us that God created us and that God redeems us. Which is to say the Sabbath day, I, I, this might not be the perfect illustration, but the Sabbath day is a little bit like the Rosetta Stone. It interprets all the other days of our life, why those days matter. I've mentioned before earlier in this series that in 2002, the New York Times ran a 10-day series about the Ten Commandments in the modern world. And when they talked about this day, the Sabbath day, in that series in 2002, 20-something years ago, uh, they talked about a, a Jewish couple in New York City. Both of them were physicians. Uh, and later in life, they had come back to their faith and practiced a version of Sabbath. And this is what the husband said who worked with children who had HIV. Very taxing emotionally. He said this, and I quote, I began to be drawn to more organized Jewish life. I needed a place where I could go after what I saw in the hospital. I see bad things happen to people. I needed to complicate things beyond the here and now, beyond the material world. You can go to therapy to deal with some of this, but therapy can only find out who you are. It cannot answer why I am here. You see, Sabbath and the celebration of it is the day that makes sense of the rest of our lives. It at some level answers the question, why am I here? Why am I here? Because God created me, God redeemed me, he died for me, and he calls me to go forth taking his good word, whether it's in word or in our deeds, forth. God created, God redeemed. 
Now, there's loads of questions when it comes to the Sabbath and lots of disagreement. I don't want to get too fine-toothed here, uh, but a couple of them are, are unavoidable and they're connected. First is this. Didn't the Sabbath pass away with Jesus? Aren't the, the Sabbath is not a thing anymore, right? Uh, after all, we're, this is Sunday. We're not on the Sabbath. Sabbath is on Saturday. Well, Jesus comes and he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he does is he liberates people from legalistic slavery to the command. And he reminds us even in the passage that we saw, Walter read a moment ago, that man is not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. So Jesus wants to give us the gift of being refreshed, the gift of Sabbath. He comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. But as to why Sunday and not Saturday, why the first day of the week and not the last day of the week, Christians have always celebrated the the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day on Sunday because this is the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's also the day that Pentecost, when the Spirit came down, it's also the first day of creation. Uh, after the sermon this morning, we will sing, O Day of Rest and Gladness. And one of the stanzas says this, On you at the creation, on the day, the light first had its birth. On you, the Sabbath, Christ rose from depths of earth. On you, the, the Sabbath, Lord victorious, the Spirit was sent from heaven. That is Pentecost. And so the reason that Christians have always, and this is 1 Corinthians 16, Acts 2, worshipped on Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. But what fascinates me about this command, what fascinates me about this command is that I have to preach it to myself and to you. Like, I mean, if you have young children, what do you do? You force them to take a nap, right? It's good for you. Take a nap. I mean, I wish I had an authority figure in my life saying it is time to nap. It is time to go down. I wish I had this. And actually, I do. It's called the fourth commandment. So if we have this, and we all know we need it, why do we ignore this commandment to rest? Now let's be honest, our world does not make it easy. From seven-day work expectations, expectations at work, to seven-day-a-week extracurriculars. We are busy, we are wired, we are connected. And also, I think in the 21st century, our lives are more and more marked by consumption, by sensation, instant gratification. We need that dopamine hit. I mean, if you're alone for a few minutes, what is the first thing you do? You reach for that phone in your pocket. We can't sit still. Blaise Pascal famously said, the modern person's greatest problem is their inability to sit quietly in their room. And incidentally, it's getting worse. There was a study that came out recently in 2004. Gloria Marks, a researcher at University of California, Irvine, uh, started a study that's still going on. And she went into workplaces with a stopwatch to see how often people switched tasks from one task to the next. And in 2004, they switched tasks every 150 seconds, every two and a half minutes. In 2012, they switched tasks every 75 seconds. Today, we switch tasks every 47 seconds. At the risk of being a grumpy old man, let me quote one of my favorite grumpy old men, Bill Mayer. The tycoons of social media have to stop pretending that they are friendly nerd gods building a better world and admit that they are tobacco farmers in t-shirts selling an addictive product to children. Philip Morris just wanted your lungs. The app store wants your soul. But I think below all the, the busyness and the connection, we'll talk about technology in a moment, but I think the real struggle beneath all of it, the reason we can't rest is but we're struggling to justify our existence. We can't stop working. We need to feel competent. 
We can't say no to something because we're fear of missing out. We might miss out. Our kids might miss out. Our kids might fall behind. We can't put our phones down. We need to know if someone out there is thinking of us, has liked us, has texted us. And all of those are just different versions of a need to feel better about ourselves, to justify our existence. We can't rest. I've quoted this before. Judith Shulovitz, who's done a lot of work on the Sabbath, uh, calls this the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. The eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. There's this internal gauge in almost all of us that keeps going, you're not enough. you got to work harder. you got to do better. you got to do more. This incessant need to prove ourselves to our bosses, to our spouses, to our parents, to ourselves. And this inner dialogue keeps us from Sabbath rest, which is the one thing that could help us. I mean, it is the one thing that could help us. So rest is hard, isn't it? Because what it feels like we need is just more time. So why should we rest? Secondly, why we should rest. Appropriately, I have seven reasons. On the seventh day, seven reasons why you should rest. For starters and straightforward, God commands it. Number two, we'll move on. That's a pretty good reason. Number two, secondly, also, God models rest. In Genesis chapter 2, I mentioned that a moment ago, God rested from his labor. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus pulls away. He doesn't work all the time. Now, God's rest is different from ours. Psalm 121 says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. But nonetheless, God models rest for us. Third reason why to practice Sabbath. Practicing Sabbath is practicing your future existence if you're a follower of Jesus. It is living like you will live in the new heavens in the new earth. That passage we read a moment ago, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Sabbath rest is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. It may be made clear, we will work in the new heavens and the new earth. We will work, but it will be bounded. It will be with a rhythm. It will be life-giving. And when we celebrate Sabbath, when we practice Sabbath, it is a way of entering into what our future will look like. So why rest? Fourth, Sabbath rest teaches us, it teaches us to trust Great Southern preacher Will Willimon says it this way, Sabbath keeping is a biblically enacted sign, a publicly enacted sign of our trust that God keeps the world, therefore we don't have to. When you Sabbath rest, it is your demonstration to the world, I don't control everything and I can trust that God does. And I actually think if we did this more and more as a community, it would be wildly attractive to our neighbors who are just frenetic and going crazy, so worn out. If we could do this one thing, it would be a radical demonstration of the grace of the gospel. Jesus has won the rest, therefore, we can rest. Fifth reason why to engage in Sabbath rest. It is a bulwark against idolatry. Friends, we were created to live, we were created to work, and yet we endow our work, the whole economic enterprise, we endow it with this significance beyond its God-given role. Work becomes this idol that so many of us, including myself, serve. And the Sabbath is a bulwark against that idolatry. It says no to the 24-7 need for productivity. It defies the reign of mammon. It's a bulwark against idolatry. Sixth reason why the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath forms us. It's really fascinating. I don't have time to do this right now, but it's fascinating if you look at the way that the one in six pattern in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, just kind of works itself out. How they dealt with debt, how they dealt with the land, how they dealt with servitude, how they served the needy, all was in this pattern of six days and one, six days and one. I do think it's worth noting that in this passage, you shouldn't mistreat your workers, the people who work for you. Uh, let me just tell you one story of the way the Sabbath has been formative for me. In, uh, when I was in college, this is for you guys, uh, when I was in college, uh, this command kind of was impressed upon me. Uh, I was studying at Vanderbilt, and I was doing pretty well in school, but I was like, I'm going to stop studying on Sundays. I'm going to stop studying on Sundays. And I did, and my grades went up significantly. Now, this says a little bit about the first couple years of college, um, but nonetheless, it's not necessarily a strict causation, but nonetheless... But nonetheless, my grades, I think it was like 0.5 they went up when I stopped studying on Sunday. As one uh, writer said, good Sabbaths make good Christians and good humans. But seventh, and finally, why Sabbath? Sabbath is designed for us to delight in God, to commune with him. I don't know what your marriage is like uh, when things get bumpy, but I know that our marriage... Our marriage, when our marriage gets a little bumpy, what we do is we get, we get chippy. You know, it's like, it's like little dings here and there. It's not, we don't, we're not blow-up people, but we're, we're chippy, right? And last week, not this past week, but a week ago, we were chippy. We were chippy, all right? Well, this week, though, was great. It was exceptional. We connected at a deep level. We had, we had an exceptionally busy week. I got sick. My son got sick. And yet, Allison and I are doing great. Why? Because we took Valentine's a day, two weeks early, and on, on Monday, my Sabbath, we went into the city and just connected with each other. We just delighted in each other. And you know what? We could take a busy week once we'd done that. We'd had a date day, a date night, as it were. Friends, Sabbath is the date night to draw near to God. If you're feeling far from God, are you honoring the Sabbath? Are you taking a day to build into your relationship with the one who created you, the one who redeemed you? Sabbath is designed to allow us to commune deeply, to delight with our God. So those are the seven reasons to practice Sabbath. Let's get a little practical in closing. How do we do this? How do we practice Sabbath? It is a little bit different for all of us. As I just mentioned, uh, I work on Sundays. You may have noticed this. Uh, my Sabbath is on Monday. I do think there's two ditches you can fall in here. One is the ditch, ditch of uh, legalism, like you're just kind of keeping this like code of rules. And then the other ditch you can fall into is like the, the ditch of license. Just do whatever you want. I will say this. I hardly know any legalist when it comes to this. Uh, like I know a lot more people that are loose on this than there are too tight on this. But let me quote to begin this off. Two pastors, one ancient, one modern. The modern first. I was in New York City several years ago, and I heard a pastor there, John Tyson, say this, that in his ministry... When he was young in ministry, he emphasized the biblical disciplines of engagement, prayer, reading the Bible, acts of service, right, uh, doing things, right? But as he aged in ministry, without diminishing those, he now started to emphasize the disciplines of disengagement, solitude, silence, fasting, Sabbath, pulling away from the world as a way to connect with God. And then the ancient, of course, uh, you, if you know me, you'll know I'm going to quote Augustine. I love this. Augustine says this. He says, let me distrust myself. Let me distrust 
myself. So when it comes to the things of the Sabbath, will you for just a moment distrust yourself? Will you distrust yourself and trust what God has to say about the way to find rest? Okay? So I want to say four things about how to rest. You got to work, you got to stop, you got to play, and you got to worship. First, work. Now, this is a sermon actually for next week. Notice that it says, six days shall you labor, okay? Work is important, okay? Uh, And I do think it's worth saying that as you think about your Sabbath, uh, that one day is kind of a day for personal work. I mean, don't make your Sabbath the day that you run all your errands. Nobody has ever gotten joy out of running errands or mowing the lawn or cleaning the house, okay? But work six days. One day probably needs to be or at least a half a day for personal stuff. So work. But then second, stop. Have a plan to stop. And it got to be intentional and it has to be definite. I love the Jewish tradition of lighting a candle at sundown on, uh, on, the, on the, Sabbath, the beginning of the Sabbath. Several things, I'll put it in four categories. First, your technology. You can tur- it, it'll be there. You can turn it off. I encourage you to turn it off for a long period of time, hopefully 24 hours. What if turning your phone off is an act of liberation? An act of liberation. Second, stop work or stop studying. If you fish for a living, don't fish on the Sabbath. If you email for a living, don't email. Now, caveat, seasonally, this will not be possible. I mean, if you're a medical resident, uh, okay, this might not be possible for a season. Uh, If you're in some particularly difficult stretch of business or work, it might not be possible, okay? This is why it's important to have a community around you that holds you accountable so that that doesn't come on forever. Like, you start working seven days a week, and all of a sudden it's easy. Like, you know, five years go by, and you're working seven days a week. Have a community that can come alongside you and say this can't go on forever. Third thing about stopping, if you are a boss, if you have authority in your organization, make it possible and encourage your employees to do this. Let me just put it colloquial, pull a Chick-fil-A. Pull a Chick-fil-A. Look at verse 10. It says, all these different people, it says, your sons, your daughters, your female servants, your male servants, and even your livestock, give them a rest. The former uh, prime minister of Great Britain, Harold Macmillan, uh, described the Sabbath as the first and greatest worker protection act in history. I love that. The first and greatest worker protection act in history. If you have authority, protect your employees. And then i got to dive into the shark-infested waters of children's activities. And I'm going to get in and out quick, okay? I'm going to get in and out quick. I know where I am, all right? But I need to say two things. Two things I want to say about children's activities. If you do 1,001 things on Sunday, and if you do 1,001 things, whatever day it is, don't think that you're not discipling your children and telling them what you think is important and most important. Because how we spend our time, it tells us what we value. And if we value all those activities more than we value the Sabbath and being with the Lord's people, what are we telling our children? When you do that, you are saying something. Just know that. And second, one of my closest friends, he has not allowed his children in high school now, and he has not allowed his children to participate in any sports on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. No, no sports. They didn't do travel teams. Um, and if there's a practice, they just say to their coach, we don't do that. Now, I'm not, this is not me. I'm, just tell, I'm giving you an illustration, okay? So don't, don't shoot the messenger. Um, maybe you should, though. Um, and you know what? This year, his, his son made the varsity basketball team at his high school. He was good enough. 
He was good enough. He didn't do all that through the years. And this year he made the varsity basketball team and a good program, by the way, his junior year. And you're like, well, that's crazy. Well, it is crazy. But so is believing that Jesus was the Son of God raised from the dead and is the Lord over all. It is crazy. All right, third. So work, stop, third, play. Make the Sabbath a delight. Play. Do the delightful things. The Jewish Sabbath was a festival. It was a day to feast, to be with friends, to have a good time, to do fun things. It's not some drought. You know, don't think, don't think the Puritans, all right? Think the party, okay? That's what the Sabbath is. It is a day to have fun, to be delighting in one another and as we rest. So we work, we stop, we play, but then fourth, worship. Worship, the Lord's Day, being with God's people, uh, the preaching of God's word, the sacraments. And let me just say, 52 weeks a year, even if you're on vacation, find a way to get to worship. Why? Because all of us fundamentally need to be reoriented to the God as creator and God as redeemer. We all fundamentally need to meditate on God's work for us, what he has done. The rest has been won, and we need to worship God and to enter into that rest. Our call to worship this morning was from Matthew 11, Jesus' great statement, some of the most beloved passage in all of Scripture. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, I am the giver of rest. I am the Lord of Sabbath. In me and me alone, you can find rest for your haggard, restless soul. Now make no sense though. Jesus offering us rest comes on the far side of a great ordeal. It comes on the far side of his restlessness because Jesus had to undergo a great restlessness so that he might give us rest. Jesus lived his life, a life of restlessness. At the end of his life, he was in great agony, so much so that he was restless, sleepless. In Luke 22, it says that Jesus was so restless, so undone, that his sweat became like blood. This is actually something that happens, falling to the ground. And as the ordeal intensified, as it unfolded, he's hanging on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a restlessness in Jesus, otherwise unknown in the world. Disowned, betrayed by his friends, unjustly accused, bearing the weight of the world's sins, cut off from the fellowship of the Father. But as Jesus underwent that great unrestlessness, that restlessness, he said, it is finished. And he has achieved for us an eternal and abiding rest. Jesus has won the rest. It is finished. Therefore, we can enter the rest that he has won. I think it's so hard for us to practice Sabbath rest because we're so used to wanting to earn our salvation. And Sabbath rest really is one of the ways that we can experience in a deep way for ourselves and our community the gift of God's grace. He has achieved it. So enter the rest of God. It is a great and life-giving gift. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we thank you that you have labored and your son made himself restless, that we might rest. Would you, Lord, give us hearts that rest in you and your finished work for us. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.